0: And not say. the passage. say it's not on the sheet, but the passage begins. Moshe yeah. ad pasuk, which is not on the sheet. Yeah. Not on the sheet. But the ad pasuk is Moshe We must say of and Moshe Rabbeinu wrote this down. And of course Moshe Rabbeinu wrote everything down. So that the emphasis on the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu wrote something is uh, not to be taken lightly, so we'll get back to it. But to remember that... Uh, now, the, the, the question that people ask, I mean, led by Rashi, people forget that Rashi asked the question, but it is Rashi's question. And Rashi says, if you look at that first uh you see the first Pasuk is Masek and Israel Tumasral Sigotam, Viyakosheba Arab. You see under that there's Rashi. Rashi says, Eilum Masay Laman is the bua alam. I mean that's a good question. You know, like when you read the Torah, when you read the Torah, you read the Sumaj, you'd you you like it to be mean. And if not meaningful, at least you'd like it to be um, interesting. You'd like it to say something about something. Uh, you'd like to address an issue. But here, in the beginning of the parashah of a, there is a list of the places that Yenay Israel stopped, camped, during the 38 years of their punishment. Right? There was the ego. And then there was the Maraglim, the spies, and the Kodesh folk decided to punish them such that all the people who left the tribe and who were part of these transgressions would die off. A so natural death, or seemingly natural death. And then the next generation would be allowed to enter eretz So at the end of the book of Bhamidvar, interestingly enough, the end of the book of Babi Baru is a summary of that punishment. And the summary of that punishment is called Masaim, Masaot. These are the travels, the travels that the Nayisra so traveled in the desert. How many stops they made? And what was the name of the place in which they stopped? Now, since this is a non-recurrent event, I mean it happened, it's not going to happen again. Not in that, quite that same way. It's not easy for us to understand why the Torah wanted us to know the names of the places where they stopped. I mean, that's a real... You know, in the Torah, in the Torah sometimes there's kind some of background information. It's information that leads up to something. Like you said, take a story like I take Right, the binding of eyes of God and Maria. So the Torah, Torah tells us that God directed Moshe Avram Abinaru, he did it quickly and he went and said all of those things, all those details, are very meaningful to us. Because we say we learn about how you should respond to a divine command, and he did something you don't quite understand, and even did something that rubs you the wrong way. So all these things are lessons that can be learned from the from the words of the Torah, from these additional words of the Torah. The Ramban, in his introduction to his commentary on the Torah, says, "Look well, if you look at all the stories that are told in the Book of Bereishit, you'll understand that they all come to teach you something. It's quite obvious." That you're supposed to learn something about emulating. Emulating Moshe Avraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov. These are all people to emulate, not only in their relationship with God, but in their relationship to their families, to their children. All of this is important to us. But it's very difficult to say that about Mas'eva. Because if I know the names, see if I memorize the names of all the places that the Jews stopped in the desert, I don't really met a lot. Except maybe like a question in the Bible quiz. You know, they ask you how many places in, the, in Israel stopped and what are their names, and you'd be on top of it, but you wouldn't really know anything. There's kind of information that is empty, that is dead. I mean, if it was not in the Torah, nobody would be interested in it in it, and it's in the Torah. So we're still not sure why we should be interested in these, this list. And Tzorachi so asked the question. It's simple. Why are these written in the Torah? What difference does it make to me when I learn the Torah at the beginning of the Parashat say that I'm going to learn about the the camps <laughs> The places that Am Yisrael camped during that thirty-eight year period, which was the punishment for the spies for sending the spies and not going there, it's Israel. So Rashi gives two answers. Here is the first answer. So the first answer is Lehem without the love even though God decreed that they would be you know, moved around arbitrarily in the desert. You shouldn't say that they were moved from hither to yon all of the 40 years and they, they never rested. That, that, in other words, when you read the punishment, the pasuk about the punishment of the it says, they're going to just be wandering aimlessly in the desert. So you shouldn't think that they were always on the move. It doesn't mean that they were always moving from one place to the other in the desert. They never Don't say that. Because after all, if you look at the list at the beginning of must say, there are forty-two masa of forty-two trips that the Nei Yisrael uh, took. Same year, You doubt it. If you if you reduce the forty by fourteen, why should you reduce the fourteen? Shekula ha'yu b'shenari shenah. In other words, the first, These fourteen that Rashi is referring to were in the first year of the tribe. So, first year they weren't <coughs> being punished. They were just moving from place to place to get to wherever they had to go. So you reduce, you reduce the number by fourteen. Shekain, Ayub Before the edict against the nation Israel and the Baragwe was promulgated. Right, from the time that they went from Rameses till they got to Ritma, Shemishan the Ishafu Hamrad Limba. It's only then, after the fourteen trips, that the spies were sent, Shina, Rah Nasu Ah Maxirot we go there, right? Sha'laq Ufana She was that's when this all happened here it says they they went from Hazirot and they camped in Right, so you know that this all happened in Midbar in other words what, what Raji is saying is even though the list has 40 in it you have to subtract 14 for the 40 uh, because the 14 don't count they were before the punishment was Imposed on the day Yisrael. And then he says, then the Rashi, Rashi goes on and says, And, and the last eight masa'ot, the last eight trips that they took were after the death of Aaron. In other words, they were on their way to Eretz Yisrael. Like the punishment is over. So the eight masa'ot which get them to Eretz Yisrael, right? Uh, that was after the death of Aaron, the Ora'ar, Ad Arbot Moab, Vishnata Arbaim. All this took place in the 40th year of Yitziaf Mitzrayim. Then Sa, Shakol Shmonat Rishoshim Sharna, So if you subtract 14 and then you subtract 8 and you start out with 40, so you Two. see what? 42. Oh, 42. So you end up with 20. You end up with 20. You end up with 20 masa'o. That's what Rashi says. He says, uh, So that means that they had a lot of time to rest. Even though God said to B'nai Israel, We're going to be moving around all the time. it sounds Obviously, they were not moving around all the time. They moved, uh, they moved from one place to another. But for a lot of the time, for a lot of the time, they were, wherever they were, they were camped. And and being camped is not a punishment. That's what Rashi says. When they were camped, they were not being punished. And therefore, Rashi said, or oh, Rashi, it was some kind of a medrash. Rabbi Moshe most of had uh, uh, knowledge of medrashim, and Rashi very often Uses that material uh, to enhance his commentary. So, what does Rashi teach us? What does Rashi teach us that you have to have these, the list of Passover, uh, in order to understand that the punishment of B'nai Israel was that they had to move from place to place. But when they were camped, wherever they were camped, they were not being punished. They were living a regular life. Normally there. that was not a punishment. So that the to understand the punishment, to understand the punishment that B'nai Israel had during these 38 years, they have to understand the punishment was moving. It wasn't standing still. When they were standing still, everything was fine. Now how many times did they have to move in the in the forty years? Only twenty. Only twenty times. So you mean that even though God said that they would be punished, during these days. the punishment was not so extreme and that's what Rashi quotes from Rabbi Moshe HaDarshan so the answer to Rashi's question why you have to know the Masaud is well I didn't know the Masaud I wouldn't know something I would think that the, the, the punishment inflicted upon them was terrible and cruel and, and harsh and actually it wasn't it wasn't terrible it wasn't cruel it wasn't harsh it was any of those things that's what that's what Rashi says first interpretation second interpretation Rabbi Tanchuma, right? You know that Tanchuma is the name of a Midrash the name of a Midrash on the Hamisha from Shei Torah the Midrash he had its noble apparently, because he quotes it liberally all through his commentary so Tanchuma was the name of the, the rab who much of the Midrash is attributed to he's called Rabbi Tanchuma it's a medrash Agadah it's a midrash that generally does not treat with uh, halakhic topics. Only, you know, non halakhic topics, stories. The stories of the, of the Bible, of the Torah, are discussed in the Tanthuma. Rabbi Tanthuma Darashbog, Asha Acher. Rabbi Tanthuma had a different way of looking at it. He said, Mashalimelech Shayab and Nochobay. It's like a king who has a son who is ill and he took him from his palace wherever that might be to borrow borrowed place in order to gain a cure so thankfully the son was cured he was in the hospital everything as well and now they're on their way back home so he says the father would take note of all the places that they passed on the way to the to this famous hospital or clinic. So he said to his son, here we slept, here, here we were, were given some honor, here uh, uh, you didn't feel so well. Uh, so, Oh, what's the Tanfuma say? What does the Tantumma say? That, that this list of place names does not have a special importance. It's not of special importance. But it's a kind of way we have. If something good happens to us, and this is important for the rub that we're about to learn. Something good happens to us, and so we suddenly remain and we remember the details. Let's say uh, you, you went to a, a, a doctor and you had surgery, and the surgery was great, very successful. It was not a really little scary. You know, the surgery, like they're going to drill a, a, a hole into your head and pour in cement, and then everything will be just fine. You know, that kind of surgery, and it works. So suddenly you find yourself, Oh, I remember what the doctor said, and I remember what he what he was doing and when I came up to see him and I left and he had a smile on his face. You know, the details become very, very important to you. But if you didn't have such success, and the doctor becomes the enemy, and you know, you don't know anything about him, you just say he's he did a terrible job and they don't remember anything about the effort that was put into Doing the operation because after all it didn't succeed, so who's going to remember that? So here what the Tatsuma is saying is, is that upon retrospect, when you look back at those 38 years, those 38 years, they were kind of a success. Because in fact, Mene Israel took it, they accepted the punishment that God read about today, and then they they, they were on their way to Eretz so, on their way to Eretzkanah, on the way they felt good. So, it made sense that Moshe bon Rabbeinu would list the names of the places that they stopped and what they did in all of these, all of these places. But you know that according to Rashi number one and according to Rashi number two, we're still left with a lack of clarity. And that lack of clarity is put to Rashi number one. Why does the Torah have to list the names of all the places? The Torah could have just told us that there were twenty places that they did that were they they twenty times during 30 the thirty-eight years. and that what what the what the first interpretation said? Why do you have to be so complicated about it? Why do you have to name the name of the places? You'll never really, you'll know where these places are. You don't know where these names are. I mean, the names don't mean anything to us. So why couldn't the Torah just said twenty times in thirty-eight years? And then we'll understand from that there was chesed of um, a French book and the Protestant was not as harsh as it seemed to have been at first. Why not? According to Rabbi Tamsluma, according to Rabbi Tamsluma, Rabbi Tamsulman says, well, it's kind of retrospective. I mean, you look back and you say, oh, I was here, and I was there, it's the other place. Okay, that sounds really good, but who wrote the Torah? I mean, is the Torah like something that we make a judgment about the way we might write our own diaries? I mean, does that make sense? And even if you say yes to that question, you would still like it to be meaningful. I mean, what's meaningful about the fact that the Torah reminds us of the tribulations of, like sort of the difficulty that they had 30, 38 years by naming the, the places? I still would like those place names to be uh, recognizable meaningful ok so now uh, we're going to learn a, a little bit of the, the right? Do you remember the moral Agulphur is written by the Rabbah by Manides, and it's the book that they don't learn like if you go to the yeshiva today like a, a literature yeshiva you know literature yeshiva is a place where everybody is unhappy professionally they're like always looking down the fear that they might see something terrible. <laughs> so, uh, in literature, yeshivas, you all find the book here, Somehow, somehow they work that out. That the philosophy of the Rambam, nobody learns. Only the halacha of the Rambam, nobody, nobody, I mean, nobody in yeshiva learns uh, the Rambam's philosophy, but they do learn the Rambam's halacha. That's very important in the system, in the curriculum. But here we're going to learn, we're going to deviate from that pattern, and we're going to learn something that the Rambam said in the the Nebuchadnezzar, of course the Maurya Nebuchadnezzar, as you know, was written in, uh, in Judeo-Arabic, which is a language that the Rambam knew well, and uh, translated over the years again and again and again. This, uh, this translation was by Friedlander, right, which is available on the internet, which is why we have it, though it is not considered to be today the best translation. The best translation, you know, the English translation was done by Professor Penis, and the Hebrew translation was done by um, Professor Schwartz, right, I think, at University. Those are the outstanding, uh, there's also a translation by Rabbi Tapas. Who uh, was in Shalaya for many years in and represented a certain part of the Yemenite community. But these are the transcripts. So we're going to learn it. We're going to go through it. We're going to go through the translation. Translations are always difficult because, always problematic because whoever knows the original can always say the translation is not good and if we don't know the translation we have nothing to say about that. But we're going to give it a try anyway. So here we go. Here's the Rambam. The Rambam is wonderful by the way. It's a wonderful Rambam. Not that other Rambams are not, but this is also (laughs) good. So the Rambam says this. He says, it is also necessary to note the following observations. The view that we take of things described by others is different from the view we take of things seen by us as eyewitnesses. You know, the Rabbim says there's a difference between seeing something happen and relating the story from the person who saw it. Right? The first is called in the Halacha, it's called an aid, a witness. And the other is called aid a witness who is relating what the witness said. What's the difference? What's the difference according to the Ramah? He says in um, the third line, For that which we see contains many details which are essential and must uh, be fully described. The reader of the description <laughs> believes that it contains superfluous matter or useless repetition but if he had witnessed the event of which he reads he would see the necessity of even part of her description so he sees you know when uh, when you see something happening uh, when you see uh, let's say you somebody witnesses an accident a car accident so you look at it and say oh the people People around ran around, around and were unhappy or happy or this, because when you see something, everything around contributes to your decision about whether it was an accident or was on purpose. Or, but the people who heard about it, who heard about it from the, from the witness, they don't think that those things are necessarily important. They may include all kinds of things that are, that are not necessary. So he says, uh, when we therefore notice uh, narratives in the Torah, we see that the Torah tells us a story which are in no connection with any of the commandments, that these stories have nothing to do with mitzvot, we are inclined to think that they are entirely superfluous or too lengthy. And we, the Torah is telling us things that are not connected to a lintzvah, then so we, we tend we, to we say to ourselves, well, what, what's this got to do with us? Why is, this, why is this important? Why is it important to know that Balak had a conversation with Bilam? Why is it important for us to know that Bilam had a, a conversation with his donkey? I mean, what difference does it make? I mean, we know who the good guys and who the bad guys are here. Why do we have to know about bil amaris So here is the Rambach, and the Rambach says, uh, we therefore notice, uh, uh, going back, narratives in the Torah which are in no connection with any of the commandments, we are inclined to think that they are entirely superfluous, or too lengthy, or contain repetition. But this is only because we do not see the particular incident which makes uh, those uh, uh, narratives noteworthy. In, in other words, we think that something is unnecessary. But if you really look at it closely, you've got to like delve into it, you would see how important it really is. And then he says, uh, of this kind... Is the enumeration of the stations of the Israelites in the wilderness? How does that sound? Mm-hmm. That's us. I'll say it again. First, uh, I'm sorry. Um, of this kind, this kind, where the detail seems to us to be unnecessary and superfluous, but just some, they're in the Torah, of this kind is the enumeration of the station of the Israelites in the wilderness. Wilderness is the, the midbar. At first sight, it appears to be entirely useless. When we look at it, we say, well, what do we need this for? Ratchet, right? What do we need to know the names of the places that the Jews were uh, in, the, in the wilderness? For in order to obviate such a notion, scripture says the the Torah says and Moshe wrote their goings on, remember we pointed that out when we started, Moshe wrote it down according to their journeys by the command of the Lord it was not like it's so important that the Torah stresses that God directed Moshe Rabbeinu to write this down, to write down the names of the places that the May Israel uh, uh, were at Uh, Okay. It was, indeed, most necessary that these should be written. And if you think about it, you see it had to be. For miracles are only convincing to those who witness them. Whilst coming generations who know them only from Mm -hmm. the account given by others may consider them as untrue. So you see... Miracles. uh, A person who uh, participates in a miracle, who's there at the time of earth, he's absolutely certain that it's a miracle, the rabbi says. But in later generations people say, well, are you sure maybe it was was, uh, uh, something that happened with the stars, maybe there was pressure from one place or another. If you ever read uh, that book that was once popular in Kalikovsky on Yitzhakim Tzrayim, where he tries to explain all the miracles as being natural phenomena, So it's like the further away you get to the miracle, the further away you get, the, the, the less impressive it is. That's what the Rambam said. That's the nature of things. Remember, the, you know, after the Six-Day War, or during the Six-Day War. Six-Day War, you know that's uh, something that old people could remember. I remember the feeling in Jerusalem at the time of the Six-Day War and uh, the, the idea that it was a miracle, it, it was absolutely clear that such a thing could not happen unless there was some miraculous intervention. Now, of course, you know, over time, okay, people will rethink it. You know, they say, well, you know, maybe this was good fortune, and maybe this just happened accidentally, and maybe, you know, the next war will be... Uh, then, you know, the young Kippur War came, and was quite unsettling. So you see that miracles... Don't have stamina. That's what the Rambam is saying. It's interesting, because you would think, or we would might think the opposite. But the Rambam says, as time passes, miracles have less stamina all the time. You're less likely to consider them to be miracles in the passing of time. And therefore, and therefore it says, miracles are only convincing those who witness them. Whilst coming generations who know only from the account given by may consider them as untrue. That's the nature of a miracle. When your grandfather tells you about a miracle, when you participate, you say, "Ah, oh, you know, he's an old man. What does he remember? Maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't." That's the nature of things. The people who receive the tradition about the miracle are less uh, impressed. They're less impressed than the people who were there at the at the time and, and, and so the rabbi says uh, but miracles cannot continue and last to all generations it is even inconceivable that they should be permanent okay now, uh, the greatest of the miracles described in the Torah, that's the Torah. The greatest miracle in the Torah. This is the, the, the Ramah. What are you going to say? What's the greatest miracle in the Torah? We all know what the greatest miracle is. For one reason or another. But the Ramah says, no, that's not the greatest miracle. What's the greatest? miracle is the state of the Israelites in the wilderness, in the desert, for 40 years. With a daily supply of man. What they eat for 40 years? They eat the man. What's man? It's miracle food. It's miracle food. You taste the man, eat the man, and it tastes like whatever you want it to taste like. That's pretty good. What's for lunch? Whatever you want. What do you mean, whatever I want? Anything you want, just think. Whatever you want, that's what you get. You want something to drink? You get from Miriam's well. What do you get? Whatever you want. That's good. That's a good, uh, a good kind of sense. So the Rambam says this is the greatest of all the miracles of the Torah. I'm now turning the page. This, this wilderness, as described in Scripture, consists of places wherein they were fiery serpents and scorpions, the desert. and those and droughts. Where there is no water, places, and I mean, this also Pasuk, places are remote from cultivated land and naturally not adapted for the habitation of man. That's what, that's the problem. So that was the punishment. The punishment, according to the Raman was not that. They had to move from place to place, but the punishment was that they were in a place that was not appropriate for the habitation of man. And that would change their attitude about Eretz Kedon, about the land of Kedon. Because at the end of the 38 years, they would be pining for real life, real world, real place, not a place in the desert. It is no place of seed or figs or vines or pomegranates, etc., a land that no man passed through and where no man dwelt. In reference to the state of the Israelites in the wilderness, Scripture relates you have not to be bread, either have you drunk wine or strong drink. All this mir- all these miracles were wonderful, public and witness for the of people. But, God, but in, in other words, the punishment was that they were not given the opportunity to live for real, but they were only able to live a miracle. That's was the punishment that the nature endured. Besides the fact that they had to move, as Raju says, 20 times during the 38 years, they also had to suffer the indignity of not being human of not being regular, of not being able to do things that other people did, that was all a punishment. And even though it was all miraculous, even though it was all miraculous, they ate them on the grant of the well of Miriam, it still was a kind of a, of a punishment. But, the Ramadan says, God knew that in the future people might doubt the connected, the, the connected, correctness of the account of these uh, miracles in the same manner as they doubt the accuracy of other narratives. And there was this problem. In the course of time, people would misunderstand. They wouldn't know what happened in the mitzvah. They wouldn't know that they lived this miraculous existence and that in order to teach them about the glory of real of real existence not in order that they should stay with the miracles but that they should go into the real world and so uh, they uh, might think that the Israelites stayed in the wilderness in a place not far from inhabited land they say well how do they live there? how did they live in the desert? and they say well they were, they were not far from Los Angeles or they were not far from Barber Park and so if they needed something you know they wanted to buy super kosher matzah or something they could go to Barber Park and get it and go back to, to wherever they came from but that's what that's what people would think they wouldn't say oh 40 years eating uh, man that doesn't seem reasonable it says uh, uh like those where it was possible for man to live. In the same manner, they doubt the accuracy of other narratives. They might think that the Israelites stayed in the wilderness in a place not far from inhabited land, whether it was possible for man where it was possible to live. Uh, about in, the, in the ordinary way, that it was... Like those deserts in which Arabs live at present, or that they dwelt in such places in which they could plow, sow, and reap, or live on some vegetable that was growing there, or that manna came always down in those places as an ordinary natural product, or that there were wells of water. In those places, in order to remove all these doubts and to firmly establish the accuracy of the account of these miracles, Scripture enumerates all the stations, all the places that they reach, so that coming generations may see them and learn the uh, greatness of the miracle which enabled human beings to live in those places for the years. So, here's the Rambam. I think it's a, it's a wonderful idea. The Rambam says, we tend to lose respect for miracles. We tend to say, we tend to say, well, it, it wasn't that difficult. It wasn't really a miracle. It was something that we could understand. It's something that we could explain. That's the Rambam's idea of human psychology. But if you list the names of the places that the people stopped it. Everybody takes out their little own atlas and looks and sees where these places are. So he sees that they were really in the desert and they were not close to civilization and they were not able to take advantage of uh, nations that lived close by. And therefore, the rabbi says... Finally, we have an explanation. So why were the names of these places listed in the Torah? Why? Why are they listed? Because according to the Rambam, you're supposed to look them up. So where are they? Where's Ritva? And where is uh, uh, Ramsay? And where is Alush? And where where are all these places? So if you look them up, you'll see the nature of the 38 years of the desert. So the Tzad HaShaveh, the comparable part of Rashi and uh, and the Ramba is that they both agree, Rashi, the Rashi and the Ramba both agree that, uh, that these names, these names have to teach us something. Rashi says the said of our Kodesh Prabhu that there were only 20, uh, 20 trips because the punishment, according to the Ramba, was according to Rashi, the punishment was that they had to go on trips. The Rambam says that the reason we have to know the network, the Rajanath tells us why we have to know all these names. It would be enough to know 20, 20 trips during 38 years. But the Rambam says no. And there's a bigger issue here. The bigger issue is that we tend to deny miracles over time. and we try to, we tend to say it didn't really happen, it wasn't what they thought, it wasn't their impression, and everybody knows about the Almanac, and the Almanac will say when the next. Uh, 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 eclipse of the moon is, and in the olden times they thought that was a big deal because they didn't know when it was going to be. We now know it's going to be, so we're able to dissipate the force of the miracle. So they didn't really live with a miracle right? They were able to get food supplies, they they were in the desert, but they passed by one of these... uh, seven They passed the Seven Eleven in the desert, and they were able to buy whatever they needed until they passed the next Seven Eleven, etc., etc. So the Rambam said you had to know the names of the places. That's what the Rambam said. Uh, the Rashbam. You see that little insert there at the top of the page. There's a Rashbam. Remember the Rashbam, Rashi's grandson. The Rashbam thinks with Rashi. He's a he's a a Rashiite though no, he had more other things to say, but he's really the uh, the, the Raji type. He says, Hayuk So it's like Rashi. Rashi said in the Rabbah, the Rashbad Rab says there were Masahot and there were Kanayot. There were trips and there were camp encampments. What was the punishment? the parish was the trip the trip center. that the the, the names of the places of course are the places where they camped hey where they camped so that's so that was the emphasis the emphasis is according to the rashba that the jews were able to camp most of the time and the camping was not a punishment. Only the, the moving, the movement from one place to another. So we've seen uh, at least two and maybe three opinions about why the list of names in the parish of class A is, uh, is so important. What I'd like to uh, remind you, if I may, is a Rambam. Actually, two Rambas. Those lot you said they to wrap. This is the Rambam's halachic work. I call the Mishneh Torah. The Rambam says, the Rambam says this: the Kaiman biya is talking about God. He said, since everybody knows that God has, there's no corporeality to God. God doesn't have a body. There's no physicality to God. biya shelo yarado echad. <inaudible> he, he, he can't. You can't really say about God anything that's physical. Both You can't say things come together or things go apart, right? You can't. can say that about God. Both That God is in a place or God. has a measure. You can't say that. Law the other. You can't say God goes up and God goes down, because if you say that, that would mean that God is someplace but not every place, right, you know, you can't, there's nothing moving, you can't move unless you're someplace but not in the other place. But if you're every place, then obviously you can't move. He says the is not connected to time. The beginning, there's no beginning to God. And there's no end to God. There's no counting years of God. He doesn't, uh, nothing changes with God. God is always the same. There's no death and there's no life. The no stupidity and no wisdom. sleep, no No anger, no laughter. No no joy, no, no unhappiness. No no speaking. No quiet. There's no speaking. there is with with men, uh, the speech of men. So in the Rabbah sense that anything you would say about God. Anything you say about that? this is the Raman's uh, position. You can't say anything about that. Anything you say about God draw Right? And so at the beginning of Shimon Esrei, we say, So we're saying something about that. So the Raman would say, it's like something terrible I could say something I could say God's Gadol because Gadol means bigger than something and gibor means stronger than something but it's not true God is without size without, without a, a limit there's no, there's no way to describe what God is so the Ramah obviously the Ramah needs to say is that every place the Torah does this it's because we don't have a language with which to speak about God. The only language we have with which we can speak about God is the language of is the language of men. So just like we speak about kings, we can speak about a king. We can speak about God as a king. Is God a king? No. Because every king every king has limits. There are limits to kingship. Right? The authority the, the changes from hand to hand. It's not something that is obvious. So the Rama thinks that all of the usages of words in the Torah that are what we call anthropomorphisms means that speaking of God as though God was anthropos, a man. Right? It's just that we can't do anything else. We have no choice. So we do that. Well, we have to understand that it's not true. It's not true that God is angry, that God is, is uh, it kind of came into the picture at a certain time. All those things are just not true, and that's the position of the Rabbi. And that's also the position of Chazal. This idea that Shira Hashirim, right, Shira Shirim is the story of the love between Hashem and Knesset uh, Israel and the Jewish people. So if it's the story of the love between God and the Jewish people, how come it looks very much like the story of the love between a man and a woman? So the answer is, the answer is that we don't have any choice. <coughs> when Shlomo Hamelison wrote Shirin, he knew what he wanted to say. He wanted to say something about the love of God and Tibetan Israel, But the only words that he had at his disposal the only word that is supposed to go to describe the love of God for connects it Israel. The only words that existed for him were the words of the, that represent the love of a man for a woman. In fact, in fact, you could say, hey, no, there's a mitzvah, there's a mitzvah, how about the shak, you have to love God. How do you love God? What are you supposed to do? What are you supposed to do to love God? I mean, is it like, uh, you know, you uh, know, I mean, I mean, how do you describe that? I mean, what do you do? How do you... Okay, the rabbi has a, has a particular position on love of God. But you understand, you understand that the only way to describe the love of God is to describe it through the love that we know about. The love of parents, for children, of siblings, for each other, of husbands, for wives. There's no other choice. In fact, it's Hasidut they would say. Hasidut would say, it. how come... How come we are romantics? How come we are not uh, we're not polygamists so generally? How come we focus our love and attention on a single part? How come God made the world that way? Why couldn't the world be like the world of paramecia? You know, paramecia—they're in the pee-pee dish, they bang against the wall, and then there are two of them that would be good everybody stands up walks over to a tree gives a knock and then there were two of you that would be good but that would not teach you anything about the love of God so that all the relationships that we have all the relationships that we have the opportunity to have this we learned from Avram Avinu Avram Avinu had this interesting idea that even Sauron didn't understand at first that a child needs a mother right That was Abhinav Rabinu's idea. And therefore, in order for him to have a son, that son had to have a mother who was worthy, or who was the right mother for that son. Now, this is not an idea that is accepted every place in the world, even today. But it is the idea of grand that the mother counts and that Avram Avinu, for all the difficulty that it implied, he had to get rid of Agar because she was not the mother. She was, in fact, the biological mother of Yisrael, but Yisrael could not be the inheritor of the mantle because he was only the son of Avram Avinu. He didn't have a mother. He didn't really have. He didn't really have a mother. So that love and relationships, relationships are are necessary. Because our ability to love God is dependent upon that. Like a person does have a relationship. I mean, what what, what possible connection could he have to the mitzvah of loving God? And so the next, the next uh, halacha, the Ramban, clarifies this, and the Ramban says, the Ramban says, you see, halacha you know, you better Il Tol Hatrahim Hawadi, the Hayotzik the Hems, then Ruba Torah, would be degraded, our Tol, Asha, would be in Shah. All of these things in the Torah where it seems that they anthropomorphize, the Torah is anthropomorphoise in God. God is strong, God is big, God is God has a right arm, God does this, God does that, so all of that. Told is where is that uh torah, or would degrade with the in etc etc. Et we go down to the to the end to the, to the next the two lines at the bottom. It says mm-hmm. they, uh, I'm sorry, I skipped. The, uh, where is it? Yeah, I'm sorry. If you go up one, two, three, four, mashal mitay. Okay, the second line you bet. I'm sorry. These are suki, right? That 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 God is laughing or God is angry. God is happy. I mean, this is all in the category of the wrath Lashon Bene Adam, which I say means this. Lashon Bene Adam refers to the limit of Lashon Bene Adam, according to the Ramah. That we really can't talk about God. So we want to say something about God. We say it as though God was a person. But we know that we have not been able to actually to actually do it the so that's the interpretation of the Tathuma the Tathuma says the Tathuma says that God commanded commanded Moshe uh, HaVadim uh, uh, to write down the names of the places that passed just like that king you remember the king who was coming home with his son and he said well here we stayed and here we ate and here we fed so and so Right on uh, the way back, all of these places, the place of Chanaya, become meaningful camps that today Yisrael camped camping as the as Rashbam added to to the Rashi. That's called the Brat Torah that they Just as we, just as we would would do that, we would we would uh, uh, indicate somehow that these places were very important to us. So Hakadosh Baruch Hu uh, tells Moshe Rabbeinu to write them down because say were very important places. Because in those places, the Israel learned to understand that Chananya in the desert, that even being able to live in the desert, as the man and the bear of even living in the desert was not sufficient. It wasn't what they really wanted. And so that, that uh, you know, the, the Hasidus, they say, you know why the Jews listened to the Merat I mean, they knew God wanted them to go to Eretz Canaan. But you know that sometimes you can make a mistake. And they said, the Jews said, uh, why should we go to Eretz Canaan? Why should we go to Eretz Canaan? We have the uh, She'er here, Moshe Rebbe is teaching the Torah, we have the man, and we have the. What's wrong with living in the desert? That's what they said. And therefore, they claimed that the Merat were mistaken. They didn't understand what was really going on. So what they learned as part of the 38-year punishment in the desert was that they really wanted to live in a regular place. They wanted to live in the world that God created, and not in the uncreated world where you exist miraculously, but in the created world where your obligation is to make something of it, to do something in it, to make sure that it follows the... The, the, the morality that you developed and the ethical values that you might have. And that's what the Chalaya was. And that's why the places are mentioned. That's why the places are mentioned. That's the deep rhetoric of the Adam. Meaning that just like the king would tell that to his son, so too HaKarish Bochum tells Moshe uh, Rabbeinu that we should be able to tell it to our children as well. And we should be able to understand that there was a tremendous miracle in the desert, but that miracle, part of that miracle, was the teaching of the Neh Israel that they had to go to Eretz Canaan and build it into a normal and uh, prosperous uh, place. Have a good chance.